0: Today, we're all looking for ways to save. That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in, then flags any hidden errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's
3: Hi, I'm Molly Jongfast, and this
0: is Fast Politics, where we discuss the top political headlines with some of today's best minds and armed MAGAs are camped outside drop boxes in Mesa, Arizona.
1: What an excellent show we have today. New York Times Magazine and National Geographic writer Robert Draper, author of the book Weapons of Mass Delusion, When the Republican Party Lost Its Mind, is going to come by and tell us all about, well exactly that. Then we'll talk to Congressman Patrick Ryan, who represents New York's 19th District, about his competitive race. But first, we're joined by Countdown host Keith Olbermann, an iHeartMedia podcast, which you can hear Monday through Friday each week.
0: Welcome to Fast Politics, Keith Olbermann.
2: My pleasure to be here, and you're here Ted, Ted, uh, Ted in the background may not be happy about this. I'm not Ted sure. Ted the
0: dog. I am usually the one with the barking dogs in the background. So this is very nice for me. I have Well, to you
2: haven't heard them bark yet. They can really <laughs> bark. There's four of them, first of all.
0: We're going to talk a little bit about what's going on, the many exciting things that happened this weekend, starting with Nazis in L.A.
2: Yeah, I just, I just wrote that up for the for the podcast. It's just, it's not a surprise. Nobody should be surprised. It's Southern California, where I lived for for 10 years. It's one of the hidden racist and anti-Semitic enclaves, and maybe not often that that hidden uh, in the country. But the the point is that all of these groups and and Trump's fascists are moving together, I think, Think a little bit faster than a lot of people expected. As in his reelection announcement was supposed to wait till after the midterms. So was the whole the Jews run everything, and we have to we have to throw them out of the country, which is basically what this message is. Those guys are from the ones who hung the banners uh, from the 405 freeway overpass.
0: Yeah, the 405.
2: Yeah, that's a, a group of about 12 guys called the Goyam Defense League. Right. And yeah, and they're I mean these were guys who were banned from youtube in 2010 so they're imagine how bad
0: you have to be to yeah. be banned from youtube at all yeah that's yeah.
2: right but when they had a hundred hundred people using youtube they were banned from it i i come back to the one thing as a as a as a gentile that i do not understand about this entire equation of anti-semitism if you believe this if you believe somewhere that what you are spouting about Jewish people is actually true. um, How is it possible that you don't expect to be thrown from that overpass? I don't know. I I mean, it's like, shouldn't you guys be in, shouldn't Kanye West be in hiding somewhere by now? None of it follows any logical train, but that's the thing to me that disturbs me the most in terms of an offense against logic.
0: Yeah. I mean, I have to say, as a Jew myself, who's constantly getting chastised by conservative Jews for not standing up against their like obsession with anti-Semitism on the left, you know, there. And by the way, the people they think are anti-Semitic are, are people like Bernie, who is actually Jewish. Yeah, it's interesting to me to watch them just completely. Oh, it's not the same thing. And, you know, even Ben Shapiro defending Trump, saying, well, he's not wrong about Jews, Be you know, criticizing Israel. I mean, it's so insane. These conservative Jews are on. I just can't believe they can't see where this is going.
2: That instinct is overridden by the by the other instinct that people who are of an authoritarian mind, and that's literally a different physical entity than an ordinary human mind. They believe if, that there are two responses to a threat, one is to fight the threat and the other one is to collaborate with the threat as quickly and as enthusiastically as possible. Right. In other words, this these terrible things will happen to the fill in the blank here whichever is the most hated group of the moment, but it won't happen to me because I help them. You know, it's the it's the Kent Brockman joke from the Simpsons. I for one welcome our new insect overlords.
0: Right. So let's talk about Nancy Pelosi. The January 6th committee wanted Trump to testify. They subpoenaed him. There's been, I I think, a fair amount of anxiety about the idea of Trump testifying because we know what happens when Trump gets a microphone and it tends not to work out so Mm -hmm. well for anyone. But Pelosi sort of dared Trump to testify today. I, I mean, what's your hot take on this?
2: But I think, unfortunately, it's going to be an academic question because that committee and those hearings are not really going to be a vibrant force after the midterms.
0: Right. But do you think he'll testify before that? I mean, before before
2: before January, before January. Should, January 4th? I, I yeah. don't I, I don't think so. First off, why would they why would they agree to live public testimony i mean unless they have the james thurber cartoon where where he's the, the lawyer is uh, accosting the man on the stand and he's holding a giant kangaroo in his hands the lawyer is. And he goes, perhaps this will refresh your memory, (laughs) you know, unless they have something like that. And even so, you know, that Donald Trump is entirely successful and has been throughout his life on one skill, which is to say anything that is necessary in the moment.
0: Right. Which is why I think he might testify, because he knows he could You know, just do crazy shit with it.
2: But he he will testify to be to be live and on television because like so many people, he is also he has become the thing that sent him over the, the total edge mentally was, tel- was being a television, a regular television right, right. figure because yeah. television is and I can tell you this from 40 years of experience with it, it is an addiction stronger than crack cocaine and you really, if you're not aware of that you become consumed by it and he wants to be on television but it's a very simple issue. I, I, I haven't seen anywhere that the January 6th committee subpoena suggests that the testimony would be live or even even in front of an audience. So I I can't imagine that he would. I mean, you're right. That's that opportunity to go and and just say, well, never mind that. Let's talk about how I really won the election. I, I really do think, by the way, that we should we should all say just before the 2024 presidential election, we should all say, yes, you're right. You won the 2020 election and you you were president all this time sorry that means you can't run again tomorrow
0: <laughs> your votes
2: don't count sorry see you have a nice day bye felicia <laughs> yeah, that's that's, that's my, i realize this is not necessarily a really good last line of defense against another trump presidency but it's the, the only one i can come up with off the top of my head but back to your point i just i don't see it happening because It's much better for him to, again, nail himself to that crucifix for the 15,000th time and be, you know, oh, look at them. They're trying to kill me again. Uh, That's much better for him than it is to to actually even to satisfy the the ego and the addiction of being on television.
0: Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how that plays out. But do you think Nancy Pelosi sort of baiting him makes any sense?
2: I think I I don't know that it has any practical sense, like the the release of that tape of her to CNN saying, I'm, you know, doing a revision of the Kate Bush song. I'm going to he's going to come to that hill. I'm going to punch him in the face. I'm going to feel real good That, that, that it's cathartic to do that. And and I you know, this is this is a guy who cannot abide criticism, has no sense of humor about himself. And is easily tweaked. And one of the things that we have failed to do since he he you know took over the Republican Party in late two thousand fifteen is to at every opportunity. And when I say we, I mean people who have much more prominence than either one of us. But people like Nancy Pelosi and people like Joe Biden and the others who have succeeded against him have all. If you if you look at this, they have all. You know, walked over and metaphorically slapped him in the face, and I think that's where it's of value. It's 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 coming over and and looking for the vulnerability and hitting him right there, and that's where its its value is cathartic rather than practical.
0: Right. No, I I think that's probably right. I, I I'm also curious as to why Pelosi's getting involved in this. So let's talk about the documents. We'll learn more about the demo- documents. We're learning every day more about the documents that Trump has. Now we've learned that some, or at least some, are related to Iran and China.
2: And we already knew that there that there were some that, that outlined the nuclear capabilities of another country, and there are only like seven of those.
0: Yeah, we only knew that from one, uh, only The Washington Post, The Times never went along with that, but clearly that's what it was. So, so what's your take on that?
2: I'm intrigued to see whether or not those two stories overlap. Are we talking about the same document?
0: Right. Because there's a lot of documents too.
2: But but I, I do I do tend to think one and this is true again, this is a generalization about Trump that is also absolutely true in the specific. The volume, whatever it is, the volume of stuff that he puts out, the volume of chaff, the volume of crime, the volume of grift, the volume of conspiracy theories is always so great that we do Tend to overlook the significance of each one of these things. In other words, it's it's one of these well, one of these documents that he stole right. contains the nuclear nuclear and defense capabilities of an entire foreign nation. It's right. only the one document. It's a that one is a death penalty offense. It is espionage, and they are going to shoot you full of of poisonous drugs. And and we sometimes lose track that you know perhaps these Iran and China documents are also on that level and if they're not they're pretty close to it these are these are perhaps the three greatest espionage crimes in American history and, and we, we get, we, it gets lost while well, he stole hundreds of documents. And some of them were, some of them were just the quick, you know, the directions through the underground tunnels to the Burger King. near nice. the White House. Well, okay. <clears throat> I'm not that worried about that. He, yes. When they, when the guy fired a hundred shots, like well, he fired a hundred bullets. He only killed three people. That's nice. the same thing to it. Right. I mean, that.
0: It's this sort of Steve
2: Bannon flooding the zone with exactly. shit strategy. But that, but that's it. See, I don't it's not it's Steve Bannon may have applied it to to politics and particularly the Trump campaign. But that's the Trump. Uh, that's his that's his his artistry that he, he his metier yeah. is, is flooding the zone with shit and whatever it's been from defending himself against the racist apartment charges 40 years ago or 45 years ago. To you know, whatever he's cooking up this week, it's always about doing so much material that you go, oh, I forgot about that. That was a couple of months ago, and it turns out it was Tuesday.
0: Right. And it, right, you know, right. there've
2: been a hundred things since. They're all the cliches about the latest shiny object and everything else right. apply to that too. I think. So
0: last night, Trump uh, was doing a rally in texas i think yeah. it was texas. texas um and i'm gonna quote for you because i feel like this is just so ironic you and by the way every time i forgot because i haven't written about trump's speech in so long but every time you read a trump quote oh. you have to get used to the way he Englishes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know in this country they leak all over the place even on the supreme court yeah. I, I don't think you leak on it but okay
2: well he had some, somebody he had complained about somebody leaking on him yes last week and I thought <laughs> I thought we had solved the p tape thing
0: right by go. the way it's always
2: back to the p tape
0: by the way you have to find the leaker of the Supreme Court again not English but yes you have to find the leaker you know how you find the leaker and then he launched into a grand plan but a little ironic.
2: From from him being yeah, from written, the guy
0: who took all the classified yeah. documents.
2: Well, yes, because again, this is this is why you know people were like, well, what an extraordinary thing in American political history it was for a man to come in and, and uh, with no previous affiliation just take over a political <laughs> party." It's like <laughs> yeah. no, no, no all All of the people in that political party were have been honing skills that they hoped would someday make them as good or and or bad as Trump in this particular area there no rules apply to him. The rules are there for us to control the rest of you and and he's been he has been the the poster boy for that since the seventies and it's and and that's how he did it. He came in and they said they said we have found our role model. And that's it simply that they were able to say, we can now drop everything else that there was where we had to pretend we were interested in governing and we were pretending we had to we were responsible citizens. We can drop that now. We just do what he does. That's how we took over.
0: I mean, basically, he went in and took over the Republican Party because they were cowards and he was a little bit charismatic. Yes. And that's I, it, right? I mean, there's no secret sauce here. Uh, no, I think there is one. And I,
2: it's the only conspiracy theory I, I, agree, I agree with. And, and actually, I think I may have conceived this one. Do you remember the Jeff Bezos story where they were trying to blackmail him with, uh, yeah. with his girlfriend? the uh, brother. Number one, the just girlfriend's as, an aside, brother. Yeah, as an aside, I used to work with the girlfriend. She was a sportscaster. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's like, it's a very small world. But number two, what do you suppose the odds are? That the first person that the National Enquirer tried to blackmail on behalf of Trump had the money, the stones, the audacity to say, no i'm gonna you know any money any any influence because i mean i i don't love my wife anymore but she she was a good person and she gets my money you don't screw you guys i'm not cooperating what are the chances that the first person they blackmailed said no i think those chances are almost infinitesimal and there had probably been dozens of people blackmailed with similar things by similar organizations on behalf of trump and if you sit there wondering How did Lindsey Graham turn from a, you know, blow with the strongest wind kind of uh, fake, uh, reasonable Republican to this prostitute? Um, How did Ted Cruz go from being, you know, threatening Trump with a fistfight to being his biggest supporter? Ronnie Jackson, uh, almost everybody at Fox News, people forget people at Fox News were so anti Trump in 2015, 16. How did they do this? I think we need to admit the possibility that that blackmail was involved in it because it, it's you know, these are politicians and they're as being politicians. They're about 100 times more likely to have done blackmailable stuff than the rest of us have. So I, I think that's the one little sort of mystery that might be explained by future historians. But, but who
0: knows? I just to, I'm going to push back on this. I mean, we right. really think like Lindsey Graham needs money to be a sycophant no. who wants to be popular like they're no. narcissist. i mean these people no, no, just no, no, no. do whatever the crowd wants no i'm
2: just saying that somebody may have gone on behalf of trump and said if you don't support trump everything you have will disappear because we have photographs of you and fill in the blank could right. be anything. Could be a, could be him secretly right. attending a gay but, rights meeting, right. something terrible <laughs> like that.
4: Right.
2: But him. I mean, but, uh, but, but I, I just I just think that, you know, that 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 the reversals when when this is written, if there is a future and there are historians and they try to analyze this, one of the things that we don't really appreciate now is the limited, the, how small the number of people it is who could have stopped this by pushing back, who could have stopped this with a moral stance that didn't really require an awful lot of morality to it. And none of them did it. And and it took it took four years for Liz Cheney to get there.
4: Right. No, no. I
2: just want there. Is there is there is there an additional component? And the biggest component of all political figures is is self-interest and preservation of what they have.
0: Yeah. I mean, I just would argue that these people, all they care about is staying in power. Yes. So like you, I mean, we saw in our, my, in my neighborhood, the congressional race, my congresswoman who lost her seat would do anything to stay in power. I mean, I feel like, I I feel like you don't even need the blackmail. And it's funny because I I just want to sort of extrapolate from there. I'm friends with Michelangelo Signorelli, this wonderful activist who's sure. been doing this for a long time. And one of the things he used to do was out gay politicians. Mm-hmm. And I said, why did you stop outing the gay politi- Gay, I mean, the gay Republican closeted politicians who were voting for all this horrible anti-LGBTQ stuff, but then actually gay. And he said, because ultimately their people don't care. As long as they vote for the stuff that's anti-LGBTQ, they don't care if they're gay or not. And I thought, so I just wonder how much of of any of this is just this, like these people are, you know, they've sort of kidnapped themselves and are holding themselves for ransom.
2: That's a plausible explanation. As I said, when I brought this up, it's a conspiracy theory and I don't give it more weight than that. But I'm just thinking, uh, you know, I, uh, it, it may apply to people outside of the Republican Party. Every time I see Kirsten Cinema, who I went out with for a while, uh, behave in the way that she has in in favorance of things there that, that at least are favorable to Trump and the Republicans, and I know what a psychotic liberal she was. Mm -hmm. I just, again, it's not, It's sure enough, sure enough, you're right about this. Every politician will, would, would kill all of their members of their families slowly to stay in office. But if you accelerate that by, by saying, yeah, we're going to put you in that position right now, unless you do this for us, we're going to blackmail you into doing it right now. I'm just thinking, you know, it's, it's, it would explain some of these sudden reversals. And no. I, I just I And the I, Kirsten
0: I, I, cinema question is a mystery wrapped in an enigma for sure. How yeah. you go from like a liberal to a no labels is just baffling. Uh,
2: I think she found that she liked having a car that took her places rather than living in a car. I think that's <laughs> I think that's ultimately what it was. But she, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know her and and if there's anybody who would be a victim who's a conceivable victim of blackmail, it's her. So she's got, uh, it's just, uh, it was a very strange experience. That's all I'm going to say.
0: Thank you so much, Keith Oberman.
2: My pleasure. You didn't even ask about the dogs.
3: (laughs) AI might be the most important new computer technology ever.
0: Today, we're all looking for ways to save, especially on medical bills. That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. When I first heard about it, I thought, it's about time. This makes sense. HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in for savings. Let's say you, your spouse or kids, see the doctor or other medical provider. When your claims come in, HealthLock automatically renews them and flashbacks. Any errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. So you pay only what you owe. This is your money you're saving. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To date, HealthLock has helped members save more than $130 million. I get it, medical billing errors can happen, but you should be able to pay with confidence. HealthLock makes it easy to find and fix hidden medical bill errors. To save, visit HealthLock.com. Do it today before you see another HealthLock Healthcare provider. That's healthlock.com.
5: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you, but consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every 3 seconds in the US. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined.
1: Robert Draper is a writer for the New York Times Magazine and National Geographic and the author of Weapons of Mass Delusion, When the Republican Party Lost Its Mind.
0: Welcome to Fast Politics, Robert. Thanks so much for having me on, Molly. Very excited. We were talking about Steve Bannon going to jail.
6: Yes. uh, The judge uh, just moments ago sentenced Bannon to four months in federal prison and a $6,500 fine. He will not impose that sentence, however, until um, Bannon's given the opportunity to appeal. And if he doesn't appeal in a timely manner, then he must um, self-surrender by November the 15th.
0: So he's probably not going to jail.
6: Well, I think it'll just be, you know, extended out beyond an appellate stage. But I think it's very likely he'll go to jail. I think that Bannon has expected and perhaps even hoped to go to jail. You know, sealing his status as martyr once and for all. And, you know, the truth is, Molly, this is not, I mean, he's up on federal charges of fraud and um, may uh, have greater risk and greater exposure in that case than in this one, which is a misdemeanor.
0: Right. Can you say a little more about that?
6: He was indicted for allegedly participating in a fraud scheme relating to- Oh, we build uh, a wall. Exactly. That's right. America's favorite. That's exactly right yes
0: I think it's called the we build the wall
6: mm-hmm. we build the wall yes he's it's fair to say never been shy about publicity and uh, and the opportunity <laughs> to posit himself as a, a guy who's been you know martyred by what he believes is a corrupt judicial system That's something I never heard him say before um, the last couple of years but now he fervently believes it would be you know a fabulous opportunity for him and I think that he's always Bannon's always regarded himself in a very outsized sense and, and that this will somehow put him in a pantheon with you know, Martin Luther King and others who have languished in jail for um, a cause greater than themselves.
0: Yeah, I think of Martin Luther King when I think of Steve Bannon. Of
6: course you do. Yeah,
0: Steve Bannon fights for the ability to wear multiple shirts and <laughs> whatever it is he does.
6: It has been pointed out that he probably won't be able to wear multiple shirts in prison. I, I don't think that garb is allowed.
0: I think a big question question that we all have is uh, who will take over his podcast while he's in prison, Ted Cruz or Marjorie Taylor Greene? I think
6: you answered your own question <laughs> with those last two syllables. Uh, she's been she's been so frequent a guest on his show and has already tweeted saying, I stand with Steve Bannon, that um, she is practically a stand in for him.
0: It's a miraculous story. So talk to me about the book Weapons of Mass Delusion, When the Republican Party Lost Its Mind The
6: book captures an 18-month moment in time, beginning January the 6th, when you would have thought the Republican Party faced with the horror of what took place and its culpability in that horror at the Capitol uh, would have maybe descended into a kind of penitence and sought to purge itself of uh, the more extreme elements that gave rise to the insurrection— of course, that's not what happened at all. And my book is essentially, you know, a repertorial journey through that very trajectory beginning with January the 6th and how far from distancing itself from the MAGA influences, it has allowed itself to, I, I won't say to become captive because captive suggested that it bears no culpability, but instead, you know, the, the center of gravity for the Republican Party is now very much the MAGA base of which Marjorie Taylor Greene, who we were talking about a second ago, is one of the central protagonists.
0: Let's talk about that. You've been doing this pretty long time <laughs> and you've seen and you You've written about many Republican iterations of whatever the fuck is happening now. What is happening? Like they've lost their mind, you've written about W. You're not new to this.
6: No, I've been covering Republican politics for over 20 years and was raised in a very conservative community. My father was a lifelong Republican. But, you know, Republicanism was a different kind of thing in my father's day. I mean, he he believed that personal responsibility meant, among other things, that you don't foster all these grievances and blame everyone else for your plight. Uh, you certainly don't demonize the opposition party if he had done that. He probably would not have stayed married to my mother, a Democrat, for 64 years. Right. But, you know, something has happened to the party over time. And while we could talk, you know, at some length about the succession of steps that led to where the party is now, my book is not a history book. It's not how the Republican Party lost its mind. It's when it lost its mind. And it, right. and so it's very much a Trump era book. And 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 I say Trump era advisedly because Trump, at least in theory, does not command center stage anymore. He's not president. And yet he certainly has a stranglehold over the party. No one knows that better than, for example, uh, Republican House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, who in his never-ending quest to become Speaker of the House, <laughs> knows that he's got to placate the MAGA base. You know, that means placating people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, but not because he's just humoring her or is fond of her, but because of what she represents, so that she is the proximate warrior uh, for Trump to the MAGA base.
0: I also think, though, and I'm curious what your hot take on this is, it reminds me of in the 2000s when we were all sweet summer children, there was this sense that small dollar donations were going to democratize democracy. But Marjorie Taylor Greene is a pretty good exemplar of how actually that is not what's happening at all.
6: Well, you're correct, Molly, that Greene is one of the biggest small dollar uh, fundraisers uh, on Capitol Hill today. But the question is, how are these donations raised? They're not just, um, you know, people over the transom waking up one morning and deciding to send Marjorie Taylor Greene $10. It's because they have seen one of her tweets comparing Biden to Hitler or suggesting that Alexandria or explicitly saying that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is a communist and, um, and uh, them being sufficiently agitated to believe that civilization hangs in the balance, that they'll, they'll then donate portions of their retirement to someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene in an effort to stand up in what they believe is this kind of existential Book of Revelations-style battle. I do still, you know, root, at least in theory, for the positive force that small-dollar donations can be up against PAC money. But it does not necessarily mean that these are being um, solicited in a good-faith manner. And Green is a great case in point of
0: that. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think about somewhere, and we were with a bunch of— Older people and someone was saying, "Well, they've all been radicalized on Facebook." What happened, man? <laughs>
6: yeah, right. Well, you know. So the title of my book is "Weapons of Mass Delusion," and the the real key phrase there is "mass delusion," meaning that the base of one of our two big political parties um, has um, fallen prey to delusion on mass, and and that's happened through a steady, really unending marinating in disinformation. The big lie is the most obvious one that the 2020 election was stolen, but there have come sprung up next to that all these other adjacent lies that uh, uh, the that January the 6th was a setup or that it was, you know, just tourists or that um, uh, Antifa Riled everyone up, see that COVID vaccines, at minimum, don't work, and at maximum, are killers uh, or, or or mind control from China, and that the mainstream media is working with liberals to engineer a great replacement for with people coming across the border. I mean, these are these are things that that are being fed to people on the right by this far right media ecosystem that really didn't exist uh, a decade ago. But now when you go to a Trump rally, it's on the riser, you don't see CNN and ABC. You, you instead see Real America's Voice, One America News, Newsmax, Breitbart. And those people are treated like rock stars or like a latter day Walter Cronkite by the people in these Trump rallies. And so that's that's where they get their news from. And those, those outlets are frankly nothing more, nothing less than propaganda outlets at best for Trump. And at worst, uh, they are consistent spewers of lies.
0: I was wondering if you had a thought about Megyn Kelly, who has had this very mainstream career. Yesterday, she tweeted this thing about how vaccines are killing our children. Does that sort of fall into this and how?
6: I think so, yeah. So Kelly's someone who has taken on the guise of being like a credible mainstream media person, but in my view, has been um, a pretty dishonest actor throughout the years, has said racially offensive things when she had her own show on Fox News, and now in her struggle for relevancy, continues to make herself adjacent to the MAGA world, which she had been kind of cast out of owing to her... Sparring with Trump when he was a candidate in, in uh, back in 2015, and yeah, I mean, this, what what she's saying there, relating to vaccines, sounds very similar to what you hear Arizona gubernatorial candidate uh, Carrie Lake say about in Arizona, we're not going to stab you know uh, these vaccines into our precious babies. We are not going to put those filthy masks on their faces, and she's just shy of saying. Uh, these vaccines are, well, of spewing basically cons- conspiracy theories about the vaccines and about other COVID prevention measures. And so Kelly, once thought of as legitimate, I think, you know, has instead aligned herself more with conspiracy theories.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because my second son and I went and got the booster last weekend and very few people are getting the boosters, so clearly this messaging is
5: working.
6: Yeah, well, I, I think it's yeah. I mean, there are some people I know, progressives, who are just sort of done with COVID, as it were, and tired of all of this, and maybe are weighing the side effects of the vaccines against what they believe is a reduced risk of catching COVID. And and but you're right, there are other people who just who. Who think that this is meant to be a moneymaker by big pharma. Pfizer. Yeah, yeah, right. Met or meant by big tech in collusion with the government to control our lives. And yeah, these are, you know, these are um, originated as far-right conspiracy theories, but have been somewhat mainstreamed. And, and there's you know, an in industry of to put it crassly, uh, of grifters who are profiting off of these notions. I mean, there's a traveling road show called "Reawaken America," in which if you attend one of these things, and they pay me the big bucks to do that, you can hear, <laughs> you know, upwards of forty or fifty speakers. Talking about how these vaccines were basically, you know, invented along with COVID itself by the Chinese and they're planting chips in your head and and soon, you know, we'll all be subject to globalist domination because of the vaccines.
0: Oh, good. I had been hoping for globalist domination because, you know, who among us? (laughs) Talk to me about where you see this going.
6: For one thing, I mean, I'm generally kind of a glasses half empty person anyway. But, Good, but, me too. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, and I don't mean to sound now like the glasses half full of strychnine, but the reality is that, you know, when you pump disinformation into tens of millions of people and they swallow it whole repeatedly, to flush it out of the system is anything but an overnight proposition. And, you know, when, when you know, so the New York Times did a survey recently and concluded that 370 uh, major Republican candidates for office for this November midterm have said the election was stolen. So, so they're saying it over and over. They're saying it, of course, because that's what their voters wanted to hear, because they believe it. And where then does this end? It A, doesn't end immediately, and B, probably only ends after the people who are elevated to office are on the heels of these, you know, um, conspiracy theories, after they they then perform miserably and or are trounced in the polls in a couple of election cycles, after which the Republican Party's, you know, saner individuals say, you know what, we we've had enough of this, and even at the risk of getting primaried to the right, our party can no longer afford um, electorally, you know, in general election races to be run by people who are in the sway of these crazy notions.
0: You think that happens? That doesn't sound so glass half empty. I feel like glass half empty is like Eric's third term in office.
6: Well, I mean, what it means is that it ain't going to happen right away And and it will take something negative to happen, whether it's far right people coming to power and utterly bungling it, causing some kind of national crisis and or paying heavily for it at the polls such that the republican party's you know wiser individuals say you know we can't let these guys you know be in charge anymore but that's we're talking about a period of years. I, You know, when I interview so-called establishment Republicans, some are a lot more sanguine than, than I've just expressed it. But most of them basically saying that's going to, we're, we're just going to have to lose for a while. You know, we don't want to lose. But realistically, when I am you know look down into my soul and see, you know, what it will take to exercise ourselves of, of this particular demon, we'll have to learn the hard way. And that's from being defeated.
0: I still think that's in some ways, weirdly comforting.
6: Yeah. Although I'll say, Molly, that one party rule is not good, no matter what the one party is.
0: No, agreed. Agreed. And I don't think we're going to have one party rule. I think we're going to have one normal party and one crazy party. But I do think you're right. And the whole system is set up to be two parties. I'm curious to know, Speaker of the House, if the Republicans are able to <laughs> use their gerrymandering to take the house, uh, will be the speaker of the house. Remember, you have to tell me this and I will then torture you years from now if you get this wrong. No pressure.
6: All the House Freedom Caucus types like you know, Matt Gates and Martin Taylor Green and all that, for all of their wariness towards Kevin McCarthy, they have they don't have a person of their own. It's gonna be McCarthy, who's a very smart inside player and he's already gotten the requisite votes so it'll be mccarthy but um, for mccarthy to be able to hold the gavel he'll have to
0: degrade himself and debase himself
6: concessions will be extracted from him i mean already marjorie taylor green has said she wants to be on judiciary and oversight he's going to let her do that the chairman of judiciary that'll be jim jordan in exchange for his support and so i don't see that he'll be either a strong or an effective speaker but i do think that he'll be the speaker
0: you want my hot take yeah sure elise stefanik
6: oh i think you you, you're on to something i mean i you know and and i've also heard that scalise who hasn't made any kind of machiavellian move as the as the number two person nonetheless Will be there standing if McCarthy goes down in flames. The, the conservatives still don't really trust Stefanik. You know, there's, uh, right. you know, they they know that she is
0: not crazy enough.
6: Well, and also not a new entry to their world. I mean, she was she was a you know moderate mainstream Beltway Republican until 2019. So there actually are some Republicans, some conservatives on the Hill who have memories that extend beyond three years.
1: <laughs>
0: Thank you so much. Will you please come back? I would
6: love to come back, Molly. Thanks for having me.
1: Congressman Patrick Ryan represents New York's 19th district.
0: Welcome to Fast Politics, Patrick Ryan.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: So you are the now congressman from the great state of New York. You won Antonio Delgado's seat. In the 19th district, a very swingy district. How did you do it?
4: We certainly surprised a lot of the supposed experts, uh, if there are any of those left in politics these days. We really ran the campaign more from the gut and the heart than from the typical polling and triangulation and watering down because it was just such a moment of intense feeling in response to the Dobbs decision, in response to other Supreme Court decisions, in response to the January 6 hearings, just sort of this crisis of democracy moment. And we really centered that and and specifically centered unequivocally fighting for reproductive rights and abortion rights in the campaign. And uh, we pulled off this, what was certainly seen by outside folks as an upset victory. And I think it says a lot about where the country is and also what November is going to look like, despite, again, some of the, you know, what we're hearing in press and and media right now.
0: I want to dig down on that. You're saying... And you're saying this from your own experience, pretty recent experience, that voters care about choice and not falling into an authoritarian state more than they care about gas prices or the same.
4: I think actually the framing that it's a choice really doesn't give people nearly enough credit because it's like in all of our daily lives, we can hold multiple things at the same time. Right. Right. Um, And particularly to force people, which is basically what the Republican Party, or at least the extreme right, which is most of it these days, uh, of the Republican Party wants to do is basically they're saying, okay, either you can pick putting food on the table or you can pick having access to reproductive care, but you can't have both. That's not who we are as a country. And we actually really centered both fighting for reproductive rights and other fundamental freedoms and rights and also delivering on relief. And both are necessary. And neither alone is sufficient to meet the moment.
0: I mean, I think fundamentally the fallacy here is that Republicans will somehow do something to stop inflation that Democrats wouldn't do. I have yet to see Republicans do anything but tax cuts for rich people. So
4: ergo. Exactly. And the oldest trick in the book, obviously, talk about the problem over and over and over. Of course, that's the first step is identifying the problem. But then what are you going to do? And actually, I think even more importantly than what are you going to do, what have you done in your life, in your career as a human, as an elected official to make people trust that you're with them? Like I think distrust in a lot of institutions, certainly in politics right now, is so high. I really talked a lot about what I've tangibly done to help provide relief. In my last job, I was a local elected official up here in the Hudson Valley, north of New York City. I talked about cutting our gas tax in half at the local level, which provided a lot of immediate visceral relief for people. I talked about this really serious fight we're in with our local utility that's been price gouging people above and beyond the already high increases in utility costs. And those kinds of very tangible, I get where you're at. I am fighting for you. I'm fighting also for myself because I'm experiencing the same and my family pressure. Like that values level connection before going right to policy, I think is is so important to really authentically connect with people. So
0: you were losing in the polls by as much as 10 points. <laughs> He explained to me, this is it's kind of incredible, right?
4: The first poll in our race, so this was a really quick race, too. It all started in May. Right. And then the election happened in August. So it was like a very rapid pace of everything. The first poll that came out, we were down 14%. And all, right. the, all the conventional wisdom was you know, don't invest a lot of energy and resources in this special election, focus on because I we knew I was going to have to run again in November, which we're now 18 days out from. <laughs> but who's counting? But who's counting? You know, for a whole bunch of reasons, both sort of political strategy wise, but also just morally. I, I think we're at a moment in the country where like if there's an opportunity to stand and fight for democracy, for reproductive freedom, for preventing more kids from getting killed by the same weapons I carried in combat. We have to take every single opportunity, whether it's a special election, whether it's a local election, whether it's a presidential election, we've got to fight. And that is what I think actually really rallied people to our cause and gave us the boost to win was we just showed the willingness to get that this is existential and that we're going to fight in an existential moment.
0: Let's talk about power companies, because this is actually more and more becoming really important issue. It's something that has devastated Texas, largely because Republicans have led it. And we're seeing it in California. It's a real problem. How is the government going to negotiate with the companies to avoid price gouging, to keep, you know, the lights on now that climate change has, you know, created these temperatures that are, I mean, what are you seeing and what is your plan? No pressure. (laughs) Also, we need a really good answer for this even though it's a very complicated question. Go.
4: I mean, I think we what we've lost sight of in the country and certainly in, in our area here, these are public goods, right? And in New York, they're public utilities. But yet our local utility, which in this area is called Central Hudson, is owned by a, a foreign-owned uh, private equity firm. So their motives are like so far disaligned with the motives and and interests of their customers and even our broader community, where rather than putting earnings back into, you know, preparing the power grid for resiliency, they instead do shareholder buybacks or pay out dividends. These are public goods, just like health and public safety and everything else. And I think we need to figure out how to pretty fundamentally relook how we provide oversight to these Utilities. In my last job, I was able to call for a formal investigation by our state public service commission into this price gouging. And it's been dragging on for months and months and months. And people are increasingly losing faith, not just in the utility, who they've totally lost trust in, but also our own state government to hold the utility accountable. So when that's happening, we need to figure out pretty significant reforms which is something I want to work on at the federal level to try to address this.
0: Yeah. So now you have to run again. You're running in a new district. Is it better? Or is it
4: worse? So yeah, I'm running in, it's a different numbered district and it's a different district by like about 50% new turf, you know, about 50% overlap. Wow. And we've only had a few months to sort of, you know, get on ground and get out there with folks. So that's certainly a challenge. The good news is in terms of on paper, we're going from what was a Biden plus one and a half seat in, in the one that we won in August to a Biden plus eight and a half. So certainly we start with some kind of structural advantages there. But that being said, I think this is going to be a tight race. We're, you know, on the kind of top 10 or 20 most competitive House seat list of, of all the different ratings groups. So we are just, you know, working hard in every dimension of the campaign. But I think most importantly, like our message and the focus hasn't changed we've seen the republicans or at least their leadership and most members double and triple down for example on a national abortion ban at the same time that it's been roundly rejected from kansas to new york to alaska so the fight's even more existential i think and we just have to do the work to help remind people of the stakes the big takeaway for me from our special was Certainly, it was about fighting for abortion rights. But people got that it was much broader than that. People got that if you could come for those rights for tens or hundreds of millions of women and people in the country, it's pretty easy to then see where we go next. And it was even telegraphed in in some of the decisions.
0: No question. I mean, the big question that all of us in the media industrial complex, and obviously there is no media industrial complex, but has the mood shifted from August when you won your special to now. We can all agree that no one trusts polls, right? So do you think the mood has shifted or do you think this is sort of a media
4: creation? I don't think the mood has shifted. I think that people are still really feel a visceral, like struck a nerve response to the Dobbs decision in particular and what that represents about threats to freedoms. I think continuing to hear what's coming out of the January 6th hearing is resonating much more deeply and broadly than people maybe are like processing and understanding and polling, but certainly people are still feeling tremendous economic pressure. So again, I just think we have to make clear that there's one party that's both delivered tangible economic relief at the federal level and most state and local levels too, and is also fighting for your rights and freedoms. The other one is pointing out problems and has no solution on the economy other than to give more, as you said, big big corporations tax cuts, and also not only not protecting your rights, but is actively taking them away. And I think as long as we explain it with that clarity, people will rise to the moment just like they did in August for us here.
0: I hope so. Tell us about your opponent.
4: He represents like everything that's wrong with where the Republican Party, much of the Republican Party is going. He's a um, relatively you know, young guy, in the state legislature here. Going back to like 2012, he was calling for Trump to be the Republican candidate for president. He's extreme sort of MAGA type candidate, cheered on insurrectionists on January 6th, is aggressively anti-choice. We had a debate earlier this week where he straight up in follow up questions from the moderator said, even if a doctor says a woman's life is at risk, I don't think that she should be able to have an abortion. Yeah. And increasingly, this is not the exception anymore in the party and increasingly in the country. So we have to send a decisive message in these midterms that we roundly reject this kind of extremism. I think it's an existential fight here. And I know in a lot of other districts, too.
0: What happens if Democrats hold the House. When they hold the House. When they hold the House.
4: Well, then I think we can continue the momentum we've shown. I mean, I was really encouraged earlier this week that uh, President Biden made clear he would introduce uh, legislation to really defend and, and codify, defend reproductive rights and codify Roe right out of the gate. We need to keep pushing there. We have to keep delivering on economic relief. We actually had a visit from President Biden to our district, to the Hudson Valley, a few weeks ago, where because of the CHIPS Act that was passed you know, to, to help bring back semiconductor and, and uh, quantum computing here to, to the US, $20 billion investment from IBM in the Hudson Valley, based on the fact that this legislation changes the, the game and encourages companies to bring those jobs back here to, to the country and, and specifically to our region. Um, I mean, that is a big, big deal. That's like going to change my two young kids' lives. We need to continue to deliver on those big pieces. And then also just figure out how to get back to the place where there's some agreement on even things like infrastructure and treating veterans exposed to to toxic burn pits and re-earning back trust that government can actually deliver for folks.
0: Thank you so much, Patrick Ryan.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: And now your moment of fuckery. Molly Jung, fast. Jesse Cannon.
1: You know, one of the great mysteries is why anyone would vote Republican. That's old since they're always about to cut Social Security and Medicare. And we have some thoughts from some one Nancy Mace on the subject.
2: Kevin McCarthy suggested that if uh, your party wins back the House, uh, he would refuse to lift the debt limit unless Democrats in the White House agree to spending cuts. Are you on... Board with that plan, are you willing to risk the U.S. defaulting on its debt as leverage uh, to impose these spending cuts?
3: I support that strategy because, look, at the end of the day, when COVID-19 happened, you had the federal government and state governments to literally shut companies down. Businesses had to make tough decisions about how they were going to keep their doors open. And the federal government uh, just kept getting record revenue year over year. And hasn't had to make those tough decisions. And I can tell you, I sit on the Oversight Committee where we look at waste, fraud, and abuse in the federal agency level.
0: Yeah, they're going to try to cut Social Security and Medicare. That's like the worst-kept secret of this midterm elections.
1: It just astounds me that this... Isn't a thing that Democrats just push and push and push, whereas Republicans try to find every wedge issue possible.
0: Well, this is a real thing, <laughs> <laughs> as opposed to all the stuff Republicans are talking about in the midterms. I think that um, if Republicans win back the ha- House, besides the fact that it will be the greatest three three ring circus since Barnum and Bailey, <laughs> it will also be that um, very likely we're going to see. Republicans go after all the social programs they have and always will be here for tax cuts for billionaires and not much else. Republicans plan to undo the social safety net is today's moment of fuckery. That's it for this episode of Fast Politics. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday and Friday to hear the best minds in politics make sense of all this chaos. If you enjoyed what you've heard, please send it to a friend and keep the conversation going. And again, thanks for listening. Today, we're all looking for ways to save. That's why I want to tell you about HealthLock. What is HealthLock? HealthLock is a healthcare technology company that securely connects with your family's insurance and monitors your medical claims as they come in, then flags any hidden errors like overbilling, wrong codes, and fraud. You can even have HealthLock work on your behalf to get money back from select past bills. To save, visit healthlock.com. Do it today before you see another healthcare provider. That's Healthlock.com.